Hey, go ahead and turn uh, in your Bibles to the book of James. If you have a Bible, if you have a device or a phone, uh, you can turn to the ESV version. We're in week four of our series through James. James was the half-brother of Jesus. And what he is doing here in this book is writing a letter uh, to churches of Jewish Christians that were dispersed, that were facing persecution, that were uh, getting uh, ostracized by their own people because of the profession of faith that they made to Jesus. So everything we saw this morning uh, with, um, with our family here that had gone before us and gotten baptized, this had happened with these Jewish Christians that James is writing this letter to. And now they were facing trials and they were facing what we're going to learn about this morning, temptations uh, that were threatening to uh, thrust them into despair, thrust them into opportunities to not trust God. And one of the things that we know about trials, the trials that these men and women were facing, the trials that we are facing is that they can make a person susceptible uh, to temptations. So this morning, the question we wanna ask is, what do we need to know about temptations? Is it that the devil makes us do it? Are temptations God's way of punishing us? What we want to explore this morning is the truth. What is the truth about temptation? So if you've already turned there, the book of James, we're going to pick up in verse 13, and this is what it says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And that is the word of the Lord. So we're going to look into three truths about temptation that James instructs us in this morning. And the first one is this, the first truth is that temptations will come. If you look in verse 13, it says, when he is tempted, let no one say when he is tempted. So temptations will come. It's not when, it's not if I should say, but it's when, right? It's kind of like winter in Ohio. Man, I love the fall so much. And if you follow my Instagram, you know that. Sorry. Um, man, I love the leaves. I love the color. It's so fun, though, for me when I talk to other people, hoping that they share my love of fall. And I say, oh, man, isn't it great? Aren't you excited? The cool weather, the leaves, the caramel apples, you know, the butternut squash soup, all that stuff. And they look at me and I feel like they're getting ready to like put their hands around my neck and they're going like, the snow is coming. It's coming, man. Don't you understand? Don't you see? I'm like, no, I'm blinded by the dazzling light of all the leaves right now. Can I have some joy? That's how I respond. But we know that winter in Ohio is coming. We have an expectation for it. So the expectation is here for us as Christians. The expectation is that we're going to face temptations. So the, one of the first questions we want to answer is what are some things that we misunderstand then about temptation, what the Bible has to tell us about temptation? Well, the first one is this, is that temptations aren't just for weak Christians. 
Like if you're just so strong and you're just so mature in your faith, you're never going to face temptations. Well, we don't see the evidence of that anywhere in Scripture. Number two, one of the things we misunderstand about temptation is that it's a sin. That being tempted is a sin. In fact, being tempted is not a sin. In fact, the book of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 tells us that Jesus was tempted just like us in every respect. So everything that we face when it comes to temptations, he was tempted in but without sin. So yes, there is a qualitative difference there. Now it doesn't say Jesus was without sin so he was never tempted. We know that Jesus was tempted and being tempted is not a sin. Maybe you never knew that. Maybe you never thought about that or understood that. Number three, temptations are not the same things as testings, right? We know that from the very first part of the book of James here in verse two, it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith, it produces steadfastness. So temptation is not the same as testing, but listen to this, testing can bring temptation. And then fourth, temptations can come in different intensities. You've probably experienced that in your own life. We can be very aware of some of the things that tempt us and are tempting us. Or on the flip of that, we can be dangerously oblivious about those things that pose a threat and a temptation to us. I heard this saying when I was younger, which was this, I don't know who said it, but an unguarded strength is a double weakness. So what we know is that pride can kind of come into these things that tempt our desires if we think that we are excluded from being tempted by them. We got to be careful. The bottom line is that we should expect temptation. So the question we want to ask now is where does God come into our temptation? Where does he fit into these temptations that we experience. Does he just send us temptation to see if he can trip us up? Is that the kind of God that we're talking about when we face temptation? Well, no, James actually tells us that temptations never come from God, which is my second point. It says here in verse 13, let no one say, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. So what James is telling us here is to guard against foolish reasoning when you find yourself being tempted. In other words, don't even think, don't even dare say what can never be true about God. Whatever trial you face in your life or in my life, one of our temptations is to misinterpret God's character in the midst of it. Or to blame God for a decision that we make or a consequence that we feel God should have prevented us from facing. See, because our sin nature causes us to blame shift. It causes us to not take responsibility for our actions. Remember Adam and Eve? Remember the first thing Adam said after he had eaten a bite of the fruit that God had commanded him and his wife Eve not to eat? What did he say? He said, you know what, God, this one's on me. It's, it was me. I'm the one to blame. No, he said, it was the woman you gave me. He immediately shifted the blame to his wife, which thankfully never happens now. 
in, in, in modern marriages. What did Eve do? Did Eve say, you know what? Man, I just didn't, I, I just, I just got to take responsibility for my actions here, God. I know you commanded me not to eat the fruit, but I ate it. No, she said it was the serpent that made me do it, right? It was the devil that made me do it. So what James is doing is he's reminding these Jewish Christians to not think wrongly of God. God can not only not tempt us with evil, but he's also our stronghold when temptations arise. He presents us with the road back to himself every single time. So not only does God never tempt, but he also isn't tempted, listen to this, to abandon us when we are. How comforting is that as we're understanding this this morning? How comforting is that when you are tempted to click on that website? How comforting is that when you're tempted to blurt out something unmentionable? When you're tempted to gaze too long on something that is not yours to gaze on. When you're tempted to post something unkind. When you're tempted to just give up and give in because you feel weak or you feel like you're in despair. What we know about God here from James is that he has not gone MIA in those moments. He has provided you with a way of escape. How do we know that? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So in other words, anything you're tempted by, you're not the first person in the world to ever be tempted by that thing. He said, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Man, that's really helpful and hopeful to hear this morning. So although temptation never comes from God, we do know that testing does. Testing is the result of God's desire for our joy and the steadfastness and the increasing growth of our faith. Whereas temptation, on the other hand, is the result of our desire. Our desire for something that God has declared death over. Why is it so comforting that God never tempts us and that we can never accuse even God of tempting us? Well, because God never has your downfall in mind. Do you ever want to see someone go down? That's never God. God never wants to see you go down. He never has your downfall in mind. That's the kind of character we're talking about when we talk about God. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, if we are faithless, and we are, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. It is impossible for God to tempt us with evil because there is no evil in God to tempt us with, nor is he drawn or tempted by evil to tempt us with. So temptations will come, but temptations never come from God. 
Well, where do they come from then? Well, here's my third point. Temptations come from disordered desires. Temptations actually find their root in disordered desires. Kent Hughes, uh, a theologian, says this. He says, temptations would not be tempting if it were not for our own evil desires. And Paul reminded Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 9, he said this. He said, but those who desire to be rich, he was talking about riches. He said, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So here's the point. Before we have temptation problems, we have desire problems which is what James kind of soberly describes for us here as this life cycle of sin in verse 14, which is basically desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and then sin grows into death. So temptation comes as the result of being lured and enticed by our own sinful desires. It's kind of like if you've ever gone fishing, right? It's kind of like a fish that is lured to your bait. There's only one outcome for that fish if it latches on to that bait, right? I mean, you're not reeling in that fish because you're looking for a nice new pet to cuddle with, right? You're not luring in that fish to play fetch with that fish on the lawn, right? A fish has one future, if he takes that bait, which is death for him and dinner for you. James is helping us understand that temptations come from disordered desires. And they're disordered desires that can only be reordered by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And that's a process that begins by taking responsibility for our actions and our sin. Sam Albury writes this, he says, it is self-deception that makes us so quick to blame. It's not my fault. How many times have your kids said that when you've caught them red-handed? It ain't my fault. Hand in the cookie jar, it's not my fault. And this presents us with a further problem, which is this, to resist temptation, but do nothing in the way of reordering our desires is to be self-deceived by them over and over again. So what's the answer then? Well, the answer is this, to see Jesus as so much better. By the way, that's, re, that's a really deeply theological statement I just made. To see Jesus as so much better, so much more beautiful, so much more desirable than everything else. It's like that old hymn goes, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This is how our disordered desires become not only weaker for the things that weaken us, 
but stronger for the one who strengthens us. I love how C.S. Lewis talks about this. He has this famous quote, maybe you've heard it. He says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, he says, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. And he says this, we are far too easily pleased. I've had friends that tell me when they go to the beach, they go to the East Coast, they take this vacation and I say, hey man, how was it? I mean, how, I mean, you got to enjoy the beach and all that silky cotton candy sand. How was it? And I have a couple of friends who always tell me this. I don't know, man. I was just kind of used my time to stay in the room, watch some movies. We got a really nice place. I just didn't really want to get out in it. You didn't want to get out in it. Dude, you have Netflix at home. Why are you going all the way there for Netflix? Right? far too easily pleased, having a desire that is in disorder that we need to be reordered. It happens a lot with food. I like to talk about food because I like food. Um, if you put a quarter pounder or an Angus steak burger in front of me, I will not be tempted by that quarter pounder. I'm just not going to be tempted by that quarter pounder. Even though on occasion, turn off the recorder, I like a quarter pounder. <laughs> but if you put those two things side by side, my heart is going to be for that Angus burger. I don't have to try and resist that quarter pounder because my love for that Angus burger will be so overpowering. What do we always say when we don't like a particular food? What do we always say? We say, I'm not even tempted by that. It's not even a temptation for me. What you're really saying in that moment is that you have a greater desire for something better. So when you see it on the menu at a restaurant or in the aisle at the grocery store on a TV commercial, it's not a temptation. Why? Because there's something better that is drawing you in and is satisfying your desire. And that's what it is for those of us that have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. We now have a person, not an object, not a thing, that is able to satisfy the desire for what it is we truly want in life, which is to be known and to be loved and to be accepted and to be forgiven and to be affirmed. So the implications of these three short verses for us this morning are that we can overcome temptation because of Jesus. Number one, why? Because he overcame it for us on the cross. And number two, because he can now become our object of desire once we are his. That's what they were saying this morning. 
right? There was, there was a theme with what everybody said in their testimonies this morning. It was that Jesus now has become the object of my desire. And yes, I'm going to be tempted by other things, but now I have this one thing now that can capture me and captivate me. He's stronger than all these other things that are always threatening to pull me in and lure and entice me and enslave me. That's what they were saying they have now. The desire of Jesus over every other desire was to do the will of his father. Jesus didn't need reordered desires because he wasn't born with disordered ones. But believe it or not, disordered desires is what Jesus came to reorder. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. You want to make a hard left? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians chapter 2, as you're turning there, I'm going to read. But this is how we understand Jesus came to reorder our disordered desires. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among, listen to this, whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then there's these two words that changed everything in verse four. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see what's going on there? Our disordered desires can become reordered by Christ as our hearts become more deeply and lovingly ingrained with his grace. Jesus is there to help us at our weakest, at our weakest, those moments when we are consumed by temptation. He's also there to help us at our perceived strongest when we are blind to temptation. We are blind to those things that are actually luring and enticing us, but we just don't see it. Hebrews 2.18 gives us this hope. For because he himself, speaking of Jesus, has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Because Jesus overcame temptation, we can overcome temptation because we have the spirit of Jesus living inside of us. And then Galatians 2 just blows it all out of the water. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God, who by the way, didn't come just to tweak with my desires. He had a heart behind it, which is that he loved me and he gave himself for me. This is what Paul is saying. All of those desires of the flesh, man, they're not you anymore. 
They're not you anymore. They've been crucified on the cross with Christ. You don't live in the passion of the flesh anymore. You live by faith in the one who bore your sins in his body on the tree that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. Peter tells us by his wounds, you have been healed. Kent Hughes tells us this. He says, this is the glory of the gospel. It breaks the power of sin and halts its invisible and inevitable train. This is all of ours in Jesus. Temptations will come, but temptations never come from God but they come from our disordered desires that Jesus is slowly but surely reordering because of his love and his grace for us. So what do you do, man? You just lean into that. You press into that. You take responsibility for your actions by going before the throne of grace and saying, Jesus, change those desires. Draw me back to you. Giving, give me an overwhelming desire for you so that these things that have been luring and enticing me, man, they lose their power. Because we've been given the power. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we do not have to be in despair this morning because we know that God in his goodness and kindness and gentleness would never tempt us, but he's also given us help in our time of temptation through Christ. So God, would we lean into your son, Jesus, this morning? Would we take responsibility? Would we be reminded not to blame you for our sin and our actions, but take responsibility and press even deeper and lean even harder and go further into the grace and mercy that we receive from Jesus Christ. Thank you that it is available and it is in plentiful quantities for us this morning. Would you humble us to that truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.